This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing our series on the book of Mark. Tonight we're actually finishing Mark after a little hiatus, and next week we are going to go into a series on the cults. So we encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ, and in this episode we are examining the life of Christ through a clear and honest lens. So by doing so, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your journey towards a greater understanding, love and compassion for yourself and others. So we wanna assure you that in tonight's episode, we're not fabricating anything. Our goal is to provide an honest and authentic perspective in our examination. So this is our thinking space. So when we guess, we're gonna tell you we are guessing. When we've done research on certain things, we're gonna tell you where to find it as we present ideas and thoughts. So tonight we're making our best attempt to it. Like you're like 85% sure. What? We said if we guess, we're like 85% sure, 89% sure, what would we say? Maybe we can <laughs> help. Like, my introduction. I didn't know what to do there. Um, <laughs> so a we're note to our percentages of, of how sure we are of what we're saying. Yes, yes. So a note to our supporters. If you enjoy the Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the link in the chat or the show notes on the social media platform you're listening to and visit our Give page. You can support us also through our Patreon page at The Constructionist. So your support will enable us to continue producing high quality content like this. But more importantly, we want to hear from you and engage with you. So we believe that through our interactions and discussions with listeners like you, we can continue to learn and grow together. So we value your feedback, your questions, your ideas, and we're excited to build a community around our shared exploration and perspectives. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and let us know what you think. So thank you, Shrey and, and Jake, for joining us tonight. And we are going to be summarizing some things tonight and also getting caught up of where we've gone and where we're going um mark chapter 16 that's where we're going to be at and that's where we're going to land at so we're going to read 15 and then the first eight verses of 16. so jake and shreya why don't you split those up and take those and read that chapter for us and then we will start I wanted to say tearing it apart, but we're going to start um, explaining some things and covering some exciting topics tonight. Do you want to read that whole that whole chapter all at once? 15, and then we'll stop, and then we'll do the first eight verses of 16. So I believe there's three sections in 15. I'm not sure if you want to stop in those three sections or just... No, we can just read the whole thing. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Let's just alternate. Let's just alternate slide tree. Okay. You get one, I'll get one. At daybreak, the chief priests with the elders, legal experts, and the whole Sanhedrin formed a plan. 
They bound Jesus, led him away, and turned him over to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, That's what you say. The chief priests were accusing him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Aren't you going to answer? What about all these accusations? But Jesus gave no more answers, so that Pilate marveled. During the festival, Pilate released one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. A man named Barabbas was locked up with the rebels who had committed murder during an uprising. The crowd pushed forward and asked Pilate to release someone, as he regularly did. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of jealousy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate replied, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call king of the Jews? Rob, put that next slide up there. There we go. There we go. They shouted back at him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? They shouted even louder, crucify him. <clears throat> Pilate wanted to satisfy the crowd, so he released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus whipped, then handed over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away to the courtyard of the palace, known as the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole company of soldiers. They dressed him up like a, in a purple robe and twisted a crown of thorns and put it on him. They saluted him, hey, king of Jews, again and again. They struck his head with a stick. They spit on him and knelt before him to honor him. When they finished mocking him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Simon, a man from Cyrene, Alexander and Rufus's father, was coming in from the countryside. They forced him to carry his cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means skull place. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. They crucified him. They divided up his clothes, drawing lots for them to determine who would take what. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The notice of the formal charge against him was written, the king of the Jews. They crucified two outlaws with him, one on his right and one on his left. People walking by insulted him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! So you were going to destroy the temple and build it, rebuild it in three days, were you? Save yourself and come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests were making fun of him amongst themselves, together with the legal experts. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross. Then we'll see and believe. Even those who had been crucified with Jesus insulted him. <clears throat> From noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At three, Jesus cried out a loud shout, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you left me? After hearing him, some standing there said, look, he's calling Elijah. Some ram ran filled with a sponge of sour wine and put in a pole. He offered it to Jesus to drink, saying, Let's see if Elijah will come and take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry, and he died. The curtains of the sanctuary was torn from two from top to bottom. The centurion who stood facing Jesus saw how Jesus died. He said, This man surely was the son of God's son. Some women were watching from a distance. 
including Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger one, and Joseph and Salome. When Jesus was in Galilee, these women had followed and supported him, along with many other women who had come to Jerusalem with him. Since it was late in the afternoon on preparation day, just before the Sabbath, Joseph from Arimathea dared to approach Pilate and ask for Jesus' body. Joseph was a prominent council member who also eagerly anticipated the coming of God's kingdom. Pilate wondered if Jesus was already dead. He called the centurion and asked him whether Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, Pilate gave the dead body to Joseph. He, brought a, he bought a linen cloth, took Jesus down from the cross, wrapped him in the cloth, and laid him in a tomb that had been carved out of rock. He rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was buried. So let's pause there, since that's the sections, three sections of 15. So Jake, why don't you carry this section and let's, uh, let's just walk quickly through 15 before we get into closing this down. I'm trying to think of, of things that, that we don't know, like the, we know Jesus was crucified. We know that he was traded for a, someone that was a problem to society that the Jews were probably going to deal with in their own way. He was handed over because the Jews didn't have any power to kill people. And so Pilate had to be the one to actually do that. But in this case, did, does it, I forget if Mark actually says, I was looking at something else. If he washed his hands in this story, <laughs> the pilot washes hands. So in this story, Pilate even has more of a, of a, pivotal role of actually being the one to to crucify jesus mm -hmm. um so the whole this whole scene of the crucifixion and he even puts it in hebrews so that the writer does so that we will pause and reflect on what it means but the eloi eloi lama shabachthani the my god my god why have you forsaken me and so most of our theologies come out that God turned God's face away from Jesus in this moment because he couldn't look at sin because God couldn't bear sin because mm -hmm. uh, Jesus was then his, the sacrifice, the, to of some God thirst, uh, some bloodthirsty God. Um, but all of, all of the crucifixion scene is supposed to point back to Psalms 22, which I'll just read it quickly for for us as as reference. Um, pause. Uh, Psalm twenty two, Rob. We're going to be somewhere a little different. Sorry, Psalm twenty two. It reads like this: My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? It's the very first first verse. Um. In, in old days, in rabbinical schools, where Jesus would have been taught, the rabbi would say the first line of a psalm or a passage, and then the students and, the, and everyone else around them would, would respond with the whole rest 
of the of the text and so it's like a call and response type um, we have it sometimes in our church where the reader will read some and then the congregation would read a lot more so this is call and response idea but yeah. if you read all of psalm 22 it's my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me so far from my anguished groans my god i cry out during the day but you don't answer even at nighttime i don't stop you are the holy one enthroned you are israel's praise our ancestors trusted you they trust you and you rescued them they cried out to you and they were saved but i'm a worm less than human insulted and despised all who see me make fun of me they gap they they gape and shake their heads he commits out the lord let god rescue him let god deliver him let god because god likes him so much so if if the, the the taunt of jesus in that time was if god will take him down from the from the cross but you are the one who pulled me out from the womb placing me safely on my mother's breasts i was thrown onto you from birth you've been my god since i was in my mother's womb please don't be far from me because trouble is near many bulls surround me mighty bulls of Bashan encircle me. So that is the religious leaders out of Amos. They open their mouths and are roaring like a lion, ripping and roaring. So screaming, chanting to crucify him. I am poured out like water when the centurion strikes his side and water pours out. All my bones have fallen apart and my heart is like wax. It melts inside of me. My strength is dried up like a piece of pottery my stung my sorry, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth you've let me down to the dirt of death when jesus cries out i thirst dogs surround me a pack of evil people circle me like a lion oh my poor hands and my poor feet where jesus was crucified through with nails i can count the bones because in crucifixion you would rip all the skin off the back and you can actually count the bones meanwhile they just stare at me watch me they divvy up my garments among themselves they cast lots for my clothes which is also in the story but you lord don't be far away you are my strength come quick and help me deliver me from the store deliver my life from the power of the dog save me from the mouth of the lion from the horns of the wild oxen I will declare your name to my brothers and my sisters. I will praise you in the very center of the congregation. All of you who revere the Lord, praise him. All of you who are Jacob's descendants, honor him. All of you who are Israel's offspring, stand in awe of him, because he doesn't despise or detest the suffering of the one who suffered. He didn't hide his face from me, Psalm 22 says. No, he listened, and when I cried out for him for help, I offered in the great congregation because of you, I'll fulfill my promises in the presence of those who honor God. And it keeps going. And so, so what you're saying is that that is a signaling for the rest of it. And a lot so of we, times we yeah. miss, we miss rabbinical or Hebrew isms in general, because we don't live and breathe hebrew ideas and so in a 
situation like this, Jesus would have called this out, expecting people to know the rest. People did like, really know the rest, right? Right. And so, I mean, the, the story is that, that God did not turn God's face away. But how so where did that come from? I'm guessing that that's more Calvinistic type ideas. I I mean Calvinism early 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 Catholic middle Catholicism. Okay, I think Dante's Inferno. I think it's all it all kind of is wrapped up in that in that type of that God cannot be anywhere that sin is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. But if we read the text, that's where we're most likely to find God. Right. <clears throat> but the problem is we read the we read the text with uh, with presuppositions of of what we believe that sin is supposed to be like. So right. instead of a instead of a rescuing God, we view God as a vengeful God that needed that needed blood. And. Okay. I think a while ago we we were talking this point uh, and Mark can't remember where it was at, but the idea that God didn't need a sacrifice, God didn't need blood. Yeah, that's Hebrews. Right. Um, Hebrews, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hebrews. So that idea that um, that idea that God can't look upon sin um, comes from Old Testament comes from Habakkuk one thirteen which mm -hmm. says your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Mm -hmm. And so we've taken that to, to mean sin, but. So let's put our, let's put our finger on this and read 16 because there's a lot of salvation motifs in this that I don't want to lose. Um, so let's read the first verses of eight one through excuse me chapter 16 one through eight which <clears throat> we're taking the shorter ending of mark because that's the truest uh well truest i don't know if that's that's original that's maybe the most, most original. accurately original ending that we possibly have so let's read um let's read one through eight and then we'll <clears throat> leave the rest because i don't take the longer ending of mark anymore i'll, I'll go for it trey When the Sabbath is over, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, who is going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw the stone that had been rolled away. And it was a very large stone. Going to the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here is a place they laid him. Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there, just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Hmm. Uh, 
Sharia, you have some thoughts yeah. on this first. So I'm going to let you go first, and then we'll okay. kind of popcorn around after you set the, the agenda. Yeah, what I like about um, the shorter ending is that it doesn't give us all the answers. It doesn't tell us what happened to Jesus. I mean, we we know that he was raised, but we don't know what that means. And we don't know who this person is that's saying it. So we don't know if we trust them yet, right? Um, and so that kind of invites us into the story where we're experiencing this event the same way that the women were. So the body's gone. We don't know what's going on. We've been given some information. And then it's a question of what do we do with it? Um, so we see the example of the women in this case, they didn't say anything to anyone because they were afraid, um, which absolutely makes sense. Jesus was considered a threat to the status quo. And so if he's still around, um, that's a scary position for his followers to be in. Right. (laughs) You mean he can't die? Um, so I think especially for the original audience too, that's an invitation to feel into what it means for the body to be gone and what that Mm -hmm. means for how we act Mm -hmm. and how we treat other people and how we live um, in the middle of the empire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. But I think it's also very human. Like it invites us to feel those feelings and to to be in the uncertainty of it too. Right. So first, some previous thoughts that we've had about um, the death and resurrection of Christ. So Jake mentioned that blood is not necessary for the forgiveness of sins. We le- we learn that in Hebrews. Um, we see blood sacrifices in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we see that it's Christ's body. So we see that multiple times throughout uh, the Testaments that or the Testament, the New Testament, that, that a body is what is like necessary. The sacrifice of the body Jesus gave himself for the forgiveness of sins. So we have a body, but now the body's lost. So, so where's the body? What's really interesting about um, this first is the body um, is, or the, the body that's gone is found by women. So the, so the empty tomb, um, this whole Mm -hmm. scene is ushered in by women. So women were the first you can't deny this because all things go back to the resurrection. When you, when you question theology, question church motives, question why we do the things that we do, always just go back to the resurrection. If it is not, if the, if you can't see it in the resurrection, if you can't see it in the, in the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, there's, there's, there's probably some negotiation that can go on there um, Mm -hmm. outside of those things. But when it's, at the resurrection, it's really it's really difficult to say, oh, that doesn't matter. So so uh, so Jesus, the announcement of the body is gone is 
by women. We learned that in the other gospels. But was re what's really interesting here is they were afraid. They sat there and they saw that their Jesus was gone. And the first emotion or reaction is fear. Um, I would probably be afraid too. Mm -hmm. We just went through all of this, you know, this, I don't want to call it a theatrical act, but I mean, it is like execution on display. So it is a theatrical execution where, where it's common, mm -hmm. like, like, people were ex executed this way a lot. Um, but, you know, this is somebody that's claiming to be uh, the Messiah. So, and had lots of followers. I would say that being afraid is completely and totally reasonable. Um, but they also know that they need a body. Right? <laughs> I mean, if Jesus is all that they're prom like Jesus is saying all that he said and what he's claiming, there ain't no body. And so without the body, right? Like what what do they got? I mean, all of a sudden it's like, okay, was this just a figment they of got nobody? They got nobody, <laughs> right? So, so, so I mean, was this just just this like like appearance was this just a spiritual hey that was a great three years i'm not quite sure what happened peace um uh was this just like an aberration like what was this and later on we see in church history that that there was quite a few people that said yeah that was just kind of a spiritual like manifestation not really a body so we don't got that body. That's a problem. Um, and of course, they're going to be afraid. So that completely makes sense. So this brings up a lot of salvation talk because this is basically the crux, the crucible, the center. Don't, don't you know, crap on my Jesus in the resurrection. Don't take that away uh, type of, you know, it's the centerpiece of Christianity. And just like Jake alluded to in the Psalm verse, we have a lot of theology that is kind of cherry picked out of just certain things that maybe just incomplete interpretations or you know, just sound bites. So that sound bite, so I'm going to create a whole salvific, you know, motif out of a sound bite. So the idea of a vengeful God, a hateful God, a wrathful God coming down, sniping Jesus, turning, you know, God's back on Jesus. You know, that's a really common view of, of God um, <laughs> versus, you know, God in the flesh is Jesus. So we see Jesus act much differently than a wrathful, vengeful, hateful, turn his back on somebody that's dying yeah jesus is a you know the embodiment of god raised the dead and healed the sick and fed the Which sickness and... was thought to be sin so like mm -hmm. the touching of right. sin right i mean wasn't it jesus yeah jesus touched mm -hmm. touched the uh tomb to heal uh the, the dead boy or oh 
No, touch the uh, touch the gurney, right? That what we would call a gurney. The the they were carrying. Oh, the well, the the girl upstairs was dead that he raised. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he touched the the buyer. And then he took her hand and pulled her out of bed. So that that buyer, he touched the grave. So so Jesus actually put himself in an unclean place. In mm-hmm. scripture, like what, what Jews would consider unclean. Multiple times, um, yeah. That's Deuteronomy 19, where, you know, if you're touching mm-hmm. dead, you know, caskets, if you're touching a dead ca- or a, a casket, if you're touch even touching that, that puts you in an unclean state. So Jesus is like crossing these lines. It's much different mm-hmm. than, you know, the soundbite motif of vengeful, hateful, you know, snipe you off the planet, wrathful God. So, so what do we do with that? Like kind of unpack that for me first. I I think to, to view this as a vengeful or a, even as Jesus or a substitute, like to transactional, to view, to view this as a transactional moment is not the intent of the crucifixion scene. Um, I think the, the intent that we miss often is that it shows the uncertainty of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That Jesus didn't know that he was going to be raised. He was like 90% sure. But the idea 90%, that... 90%? I think less than that. I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, Even then, 90% is probably not enough to get me to go through with it. Yeah, yeah totally. And so, yeah, he, like, he's still human in that sense that... Mm-hmm. I mean, salvation is through Christ. Salvation, the reason for salvation is so that we live a better world here, not a better world there. Mm-hmm. Like salvation is is here and now. It's not. It's not in the. It's on the future, and I think that's one thing that that Jesus was trying to instill in his followers that salvation meant the healing of people, the healing of the nation. It didn't mean a blow off Nirvana experience, mm-hmm. and we have this idea, especially in the Western Church, that salvation is that that experience of detached from this life into the next. It's that, it's that river sticks moment of, of going to the right place, the good place, the, uh, if you read, it's hard because it's masked, but if you, if you read the rest of Romans and Ephesians, there's this tension between you're saved through the faith of Jesus and you're saved through the faith in Jesus. They're both true, right? Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, even like when you read through your, your English translation, it's going to only say you're saved through faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. But really, we're saved to the faith of Christ as well. That what Jesus went through in this moment, this not transactional experience, but call a liminal experience. And maybe Kevin, you can talk a little more about 
liminality and what's that, what that really means. Um, but salvation is the liminal experience into newness. I guess when I think about this pericope of like bookend from crucifixion beginning to resurrection, empty tune, they were afraid. So let's mm -hmm. just take that whole thing. There's a couple, there's actually three different thoughts that theologians have birthed out of this. And I'm sure there's many more, um, but three main thoughts. And the first thought is that during this moment, during the death, burial, and resurrection moment, that the powers and the, the spiritual realm was at war. And as the spiritual realm is at war, we are chained like prisoners to a fallen realm that we are chained to, let's say, the devil, right? Devil. The devil. And as this war rages, like there's this idea, the prince of this world's got us and God wants us back. So Jesus is sent to do the final swift sword and break the chains and have victory over the devil, that the devil would be put under the feet of Christ, that, that, um, that, that we no longer are chained to evil, chained to a evil realm. They call that Christus Victor. And in Christus Victor atonement, it's a victory atonement. It's a... We should probably pause there and define atonement then. Atonement is how, okay, if I can explain it really simply, uh, in the, the creation story, we have this narrative that explains that God and humankind are at one, where God and human are roaming the earth, God and human are in tight relationship. There's no separation between God and human. So it's it's one mint. There is oneness between God and human. When this fall or this idea of a fall is presented, it shows, and I don't, I don't believe in the traditional uh, creation narrative that seven days creation was, you know, put in place. And then now we have two humans on earth and then this serpent, right. Then talks to, you know, one of the humans and then they buy into the, that game. And then we have this like moment of fall where all things change. I, I, I don't believe that that was the intention of Genesis. I think the intention of Genesis was to give, a rhythm and a narrative of the reality of why we are in the place that we are in the reality of our existence and the reality of our existence is there is separation between god and human beings that the reality is that there is a 
let's call it a distance, a chasm between. And the chasm between is caused by our, let's call it our nature, let's call it our sin, let's call it our dis poor decision-making paradigms, let's call it whatever we want, creates like a, a block wall between, uh, there you go, God and, and humankind. And so atonement theory is correcting that chasm, correcting that distance, correcting that uh, separation and bringing at one atonement is just a play on words, but at one between God and human beings. Christus Victor is one of those at one theories where Jesus in this act of death, burial, and resurrection broke those chains. The war now is actually over. Satan has no power and sin does not prevail. Evil does not prevail. Now, I think that Christus Victor is actually a very reasonable view, but it is a preliminary view. It's like a, a preview because if sin and evil don't have a captive capture on human beings, then there's more to that story that we're not telling. Okay. So then, so then there is the next. Yeah. I just need to finish my little napkin drawing. Oh, here's your uh, atonement theory. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Nice. Been trained. That was Bible right college. out of Sunday school, right, right. there, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Straight out of youth group. So <laughs> you should say straight out of youth group. You know that t shirt. Yeah. There you go. Make it really greasy and never wash it. Yeah. yeah totally. Okay. So then the next at one mint theory, atonement would be um, substitutionary atonement theory that Jesus is the substitute. Jesus is like the scapegoat. Jesus is like the one that the sins of the world are just placed upon. Therefore, God has to turn his head away from Jesus. The sky goes dark. And, you know, there's all kinds of like branches to that trunk of theology, you know, nuances to that theology that uh go down rabbit trails i i would say the substitutionary atonement theory um is really shame-based and really not i know why people believe it because of certain words used in scripture um that allude to certain things yet there's other scriptures that are completely contradictory to that substitutionary atonement theory yeah. but i mean these are atonement theories so like these are theories I think so yeah, that's, you, that's that's the key is that yeah, no one it, no one knows and does it really make does it does it make a big difference yeah do you think it makes no. a big difference no I, I, well okay i i would say that the conclusions that you're coming to out of these theories mm -hmm. make a difference because it determines how you treat and love your neighbor it determines how you actually treat people in if you actually look at somebody and believe that they they um have they're uh, bound for hell that, 
know that they're they're like redeemed that they have that there's no chains on their life that they can have freedom starting today that that you treat them much differently than you're just a sinner scumbag that you know the 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 uh you're dead on the floor without god and that's a different conversation so i so i think that there's a difference there but then there's a couple of other atonement theories that are really minor that you know jehovah's witnesses believe and such um in uh the uh, ransom theory mm. uh but that's pretty small um small groups um, i mean catholics to that. a lot of the time most western catholics believe in ransom as well i believe right kind it's of like a weird mixture modified, yeah uh then you have universalism universalism is an atonement theory so i want to camp there for a while uh because i believe that that might be more to the story and i want to talk about the body that with that body right that now we have the appearance of christ in other gospels that that body shows up so there's a challenge that we have that i don't think that we're considering in salvation um that scripture is very clear about and i want to read a couple of scriptures based on our research with Mark mm -hmm. uh, that I think are is very good. So uh, in Ephesians, starting in chapter one, and I'll go to verse 20. God's mm -hmm. power was at work in Christ when God raised Christ, him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power any power that might be named not only now but in the future don't mess with jesus because he's right there right god put everything under christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church which is his body his body the church is the fullness of christ and christ fills everything in every way Okay, so that's the first scripture. Christ fills everything in every way. Now, there's another scripture that I have to look up here for us that I think needs to be considered and can't be forgotten um, when it comes to salvation. And we have to be conscientious of it. Uh, I have to look it up here for us. Sorry, there it is. Colossians 3. Colossians 3.11. Okay. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. So I'll read that again. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. So what do those scriptures do to you too? I know what they do to me, but what do they do to you? Well, we found the body. Found the body. The mm -hmm. body's the church. Yeah. Okay. Which isn't the resurrection take that I think we were all looking for. I think that in this scripture, in these two scriptures, I just want to point out that if Christ fills everything in every way, and Christ is all things and in all people, you cannot deny that those scriptures exist. You also can't deny that there is no separation between now Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all people, all things. So let's just replace those words with other words. Okay. So in this image, in Christ, there is neither Buddhist or Islamic. There's no longer a Jew or a Christian. There's no longer a non-believer or an agnostic or an atheist. There's no longer a Scientologist or Jehovah's Witness. But Christ is all things and in all people. <clears throat> I hmm. the, the only pushback that you could get from posing that Ephesians is a Ephesians three is a universal text is that any of those groups that were listed could traditionally be a part of the Christian church. Do I personally believe it points to a larger like family of, of who's in and who's out? Yes. I think that we spend way too much time trying to figure out who's out than trying to include more and more people. But definitely, I mean, if we put that in our own context, those are the words, right? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that there is some pushback that I can, you know, relate to here. But I would have to say that there is a case 
for um, universalism that is stronger than I think we we want to believe. So is salvation transactional? Is salvation dependent on on me and my decision? Is it based on God's decision? Whose decision is it? Is it, you know, my response to God? Is God's response to me only? We can go through that. Or is it Christ's work completely? Is salvation a lived experience or a, here's a token? I think we, I, I see the need to split up the idea of eternal afterlife with salvation. And with the idea of the afterlife, um, it wasn't until, gosh, very late i'll say it that way it wasn't until very late until you had the who's in and who's out i think we're delaying pretty bad on our recording and so we're just going to, our faces and our voices are not matching up right now, which is okay. But, uh, but hopefully we'll get caught up here in a minute. So I guess there's just really the point that I'm trying to make is in salvation, we have to be very careful that we do not just lay all that on God's hands, or we just lay all that on our own hands that possibly the hands of salvation, it's laid on the, cro the cross of Christ, that if the cross of Christ is central, um, and I, I do dance with universalism a lot in my theology that all people are saved uh, because of verses like this, that because of the body of Christ, the spirit of God is in all people, but, but let's just take, uh, let's just take, you know, how we view like Christians. So let's, let's advance forward a little bit and let's just say Christians. And, and so let's say God chose you or you chose God, like whatever atonement theory you want to land on there. And, and now you're saved. There's scriptures that say that Christ in you, the hope and glory, right? So there's mm -hmm. there's Christ in you. There's also um, the temple of the Holy Spirit is you, your body. We as the church are the body of Christ as we just read in Ephesians 1. So, so there's strong case here. There's a strong case that God is in us, that because of the cross of Christ and the resurrection now, we, the church, God in us, not just God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, it's God in us. So part of us, then, if God is in us, you can say we house the divine, our soul is divine, 
um, Jesus is in us. But yet I would say that we don't necessarily, yeah, I think in our Christianity, we don't have that. We're too, we're too afraid of pantheism. We're too afraid of saying that part of us is divine because of Christ. We're too afraid to say that. So can we I, just kind I, of soften it somehow. Yeah. I really think that we need to define what salvation is. I'm not sure if I'm lagging so much that my completely off. I'm sorry if I am. My my mouth is not matching my words right now on the screen. So <laughs> just bear with me. Um, the idea of what is salvation? It it has to be separated from afterlife. The salvation is a is an action it's a lived experience it's it's creating it's creating spaces of peace around you i think the greatest image we have of of salvation is isaiah 9 where is this complete this complete peace mm -hmm. i am not i i did not research this enough so i need to stop myself from from guessing too much but and I'll say a big bite because I'm going to do it anyways. It wasn't until very late that we started actually believing that salvation was an afterlife. Um, in in the Old Testament, everyone went to the afterlife. Everyone, no matter what. And there was a time in between if you read the books of the Bible, Nehemiah and Jesus, that that temple period that they started developing this, this complex system of angels and afterlife and everything else that Jesus was really speaking out against at that point, um, that salvation was here, not there. And it's because I would say that when you're when you're when you're in an occupied setting, when you're in a in a very abusive setting, that salvation has to mean somewhere else. And so we see that a lot in South of the Equator Christianity, where where salvation is a very real escape from their current situation and that goes all the way into death right if you don't see an out and that's why the jews really developed develop that during the roman occupation um i'm not sure why we have held on to that so hard like what what is the western church occupied from or with right well i think the western yeah the I think the Western church definitely has um, commercialized Christianity. So there has to be a product. And in commercialization of anything, the, the product is the prize. And so that's why our Christianity in the West is so transactional. If you do this, you get that. Um, and the prize or the product is this idea that I don't have to be here anymore. So we have a very metaphysical view of heaven and which, you know, is really birthed out of old Catholicism, um, I would say. 
Uh, and we've just held on to that view because there has to, I, I mean, I can't imagine heaven being this earth and this place for eternity. That's like living hell for, you know, just traffic. And so like, how does that work for eternity? Does the earth just get massive and big and we all live on a bigger earth? I have no idea when it says heaven and earth come together and all things are restored, restored to what, you know, do we come become many people so that we can all like all of history of people can like live on earth. I mean, we just, you know, have weird, I mean, as, as weird as that, those views that I just said are, we also like cling on to really weird views. Like, we're going to blow off this earth and go to some other place called heaven with, you know, clouds and, and gold gates and Peter with a book and Robert Redford standing there. I don't know. Like, like we have these like, Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman standing next to Peter, welcoming people through the gates. So I think that, I think that we also have just weird views of, of heaven. And, you know, I kind of like them, to be honest, because it's just our imagination. You know, it's just an imaginative place that, you know, somebody thought of that's not abusive, that's not here, that's not a living hell. Um, then let's define what salvation is. Well, I think that salvation is um, becoming whole human again. And that means? Well, Christ in me. Well, you tell me what it means to you. I don't have an answer for that in the moment. Is it, it's I mean, that is that is the question, right? Liz? That Mark's Mark is all about Jesus showing Jesus whole humanity, and it's a it's a hidden message. I think at the whole time, mm-hmm. um, becoming a whole human is doing the work of breaking chains around us Mm -hmm. in us through us so it's it's a very freedom message right Mm -hmm. to alleviate to be whole i think it has to be communal too oh go ahead so um to be whole human though is to to not worry about yourself it's the next person go ahead Shrey. yeah um i think it has to be a communal picture too because otherwise well first of all otherwise it just doesn't work like you can't break chains without other people around not entirely um but also um when it becomes just about me and my own betterment um then once again we've just got this individualized christianity that 
is no different from whether my perfect life starts after I die or whether it starts now. Mm -hmm. It's just not the best we can do. This is not the best that we can do. Kevin, any thoughts? I do. I'm just trying to look something up here at the moment. Give me one minute. One minute. What was nice was that we didn't know that your eyes were somewhere different. And so it looked like you were like just ours still here talking. <laughs> so I think the idea of afterlife, what happens next, was never a negotiable. Let me let me throw out a thought. Throw it out. And I it's a dangerous thought. Okay. So if if the words that are spoken over us in Christ like we are ch children of God, we have an inheritance, we have a um a house, we have a room and a mansion, we have, we are, we are holy, we are set apart, we are saints, we are all of these things, right? There's lots of things that the Bible tells us we are. Mm -hmm. We have a soul, like, and you can say, is my soul where the spirit of Christ lives? Okay, I can make a case that my soul is like the temple or the the house of of you know God. Um now be very gracious with my with my words. Okay, here cuz I I'm going to speak outside of the way that I normally speak. If that's if that's fair. And if you can allow me that, that grace. So when I have a relationship with God, the Bible promises that I'm given the spirit of Christ and that spirit produces fruit. And I'm the house of that spirit through Jesus. I'm able to have that relationship with God. So I have the spirit. Through Jesus, then I can have a relationship with God. If God is three persons in one, and let's say we subscribe to the Trinitarian view of God, that we have God, the creator, or some people call it God, the father, and Jesus, the redeemer, or Jesus, the son, and spirit, the sustainer, or the spirit, God, the father, God, the son, and the Holy spirit. So this spirit is a part of the Trinity, not separated. You can't separate the spirit from God and Jesus. So this spirit lives in me. Therefore, Christ lives in me. Therefore, God 
lives in me. And that's my connection to God, or that part of me is God. So could the cross of Christ, the empty tomb, the body becoming the church, salvation, could it be, being very careful, could it be that salvation means we become, at least in part, divine? That's the Eastern Orthodox view of atonement. Mm -hmm. uh, divination. So, I mean, there's a, there's a long, rich history of that, and we can't rule it out. It's very postmodern, though, to take something that's old and bring it to new. But I just kind of package that differently than an Eastern Orthodox would. So why don't you explain to me, Sharia, what I just said and why that, what you're oh, tied to. Yeah. Uh. It's... <laughs> Uh, it's holiness, right? Or so an Eastern, mm -hmm. an Eastern Orthodox person believes it's, it's deification or divination. I forget what the, what their atonement theory is called. It's, it's either, or I forget what it is, Yeah. but it's the idea that one person can be so like Christ that they, that you become the mere image. So it's a very, an image, an image based that's why there's so mm -hmm. many icons in the right. uh, the East Orthodox Church is because they believe that your icon is the icon of Christ and you become that, that person. So the statue of Kevin becomes is a statue of Christ. Right. Well, I can I can definitely say this that we and I'm gonna take this from a gentleman by the name of Keith Giles, that in his book Solo Deus he talks about being um, under the, the thumb of the theory that we are God's children. And basically that's retranslated in our minds as God's greatest disappointment. Oof. So when God is put in this position of hateful, vengeful, angry, mm -hmm. wrathful God, then his children are like, you know, disobedient, sinful, not, mm -hmm. you know, not meeting the mark. Dad's derelicts. not proud of me. Derelicts. Dad's not proud of me type of thing. So we become God's greatest disappointment. And I feel like, like really rethinking that, that maybe God is a little more interested in our body as he was Christ's body. Yeah. And we're not, I we're mean, not like God's, I know we're called God's children, but we're also God's adults. So if we went back to the, the Exodus narrative, oof, back to that. Okay. <laughs> Moses, Moses was buried outside of maybe, I think so. Israel. Sounds right. Mm -hmm. So the body never made it to the next stage. Mm -hmm. There's no body. Mm -hmm. You mean Moses not making it to the promised land? Yeah. 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 
So I wonder if the writer of Mark had like, we shouldn't include a body because Moses never made it. That was a theory that I read uh, like uh, before I got COVID about the ending of Mark. And is what? that's a, that's a, that, that there is no body because Moses didn't make it. So we have to be like afraid, just like they were afraid. Um, so we end it kind of that way. If you tie it back to the Exodus narrative, um, I don't, I don't want to totally go down a rabbit hole, but I would say I that it's it, time. Huh? I was going to say, I feel like we've been, we've been rabbit hole on it the whole time. So we're good. Well, I, I, I want to land on, on this, uh, that, that, the enlightenment i'm going to take this from another book that i've been reading uh the enlightenment has told us that human beings are progressively getting better and because of our advancement because of who we are uh human beings are progressively getting better and i would say that's pretty much true based on some metrics you know like medicine's better space travel you know you can math right is is better um, there's a lot of things that are better, right? Than, than you know, digging around dirt and the abacus. You know, like like there's there's just more to, you know, life now. Um, what, did you guys think that was funny? Math abacus. I just, mm-hmm. just kind of related the two, but anyway, I got it, yeah, yeah. So calculators the abacus whatever so so i would say that just in technological advancement medicine advancement sociology psychology the all of that we are we are seemingly getting better christians have not seemingly gotten better and that's that's like we are becoming more christ-like we should be just like jesus by two thousand years later i mean we should have it figured (laughs) out If, if human beings are progressively getting better we should be walking around you know raising the dead ourselves but we're not we're just you know kind of in a muckmire mud of existence called the church and and we we make excuses for that like we say oh well we're just the church of broken people when when are we ever going to be put together you know i mean are we ever going to be put together and we say well that's you know where that's why we're heaven bound and we kind of throw out this idea that salvation is this event that happens you know after the gargle death gargle and then i die and then i go be with jesus (laughs) so so i so I just wonder, when does salvation start? I've always preached salvation is now. Salvation is here. But what do I actually believe? I don't. I, I believe that. I still believe that there's no body, and I'm afraid. You know, I'm still there. And the rest of the story is, I'm the body. So whether you call that, you know, you're the house of God, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, your soul is Christ, God with you, Jesus in you, Christ in you, or whether you say that that seemingly at least part of me is divine. What do we do with that? I guess that's the next question. That's the that was Sheree was saying. That's the fill in the blank of chapter sixteen, FF. Like what follows. 16 1 through 8 in our lives 
and and I think maybe it's time to start living out that divinity and that Christ in me and in all people. I mean, how many how about if you just walked up to somebody that was just a schmuck, right? They're just a complete jerk. They're just a complete, you know, whatever. And you actually believe that Christ was in them. Would that change your relationship? I hope so. How about if, you know, like we no longer, you know, every time we celebrate 9-11, um, September 11th, and I was just at the memorial in, in New York City, and it's just super tragic, and it's, you know, a part of my adult life. I watched that happen live, and I also watched what happened after that live, too, how we grew in our, um, you know, every American was on search for a terrorist, and they pointed the fingers at Islamic people and such. How about if you like believe that maybe an Islamic person that Christ is in them, that might change your view of them differently and treat them differently. Now, am mm-hmm. I just crossing lines saying that they're saved and all these kinds of things? I, I'm just saying in relationship, if you believe something different about that person, maybe a little but bit more biblical version it's also not like, your call to say if they're saved or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Like maybe if we lived out Colossians 3.11 a little bit more that there is no barbarian or Scythian or Jew or Greek. Hey, let's yeah. end on that. Any other uh, closing thoughts? Yeah, I have Here. a quick one. Um, yeah. I don't... I don't remember who did this study, um, but um, if you basically your views about God are how you treat other people, um, mm-hmm. like what you believe about God changes your brain. Um, yeah. So if mm-hmm. you believe that God is angry, vengeful, you become an angry, vengeful person. Mm-hmm. If you believe that God is loving and kind, you become a kind person. Um, and I do think at a certain point, maybe it's a good idea to drop the expectations about what we have to believe and mm-hmm. just acknowledge the fact that we can do better. If we know that we can become kinder people by believing in a kind God, what good does it do us to hold on to the angry, vengeful version? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's my, I feel like my largest beef with original sin Mm. is that Mm -hmm. if we truly believe, Mm -hmm. if we believe in original sin, then we think that everyone is worthless. Mm -hmm. Saved by grace, but worthless. And that's your start of all your thoughts. Well, I I was building a brick pillars with a gentleman, and I was having some familial trouble with one of my kids, and and he's like, you know, how you treat her now is basically how she will respond in the future about 
her it'll will inform her about her future decisions and how you will respond and i'm like well that's true and he's like i think and this is what he says he says i think that you just need to be god to her i was like what he's like well if you do you believe that god is slow to anger and rich in love no, not right now. I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he's like, well, then just be slow to anger and rich in love. And so if we believe that God is slow to anger, gracious and compassionate and rich in love, then I guess that's how we will treat another person. Mm -hmm. It's very true. That's a sociological study, Sharia, that mm -hmm. I can't remember who did that, but Definitely. I read it in Mike Maharg's book, but that's not who did the study. Right. How you yeah. view God is how you will treat another person, no matter who they are. It could be your family or it could be a friend or acquaintance. Or I mean, I, I know Scott McKnight does a, are used to, he used to start his intro theology class with a, with a personality test. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like six months later, he would give a personality test for God or mm -hmm. opposite. I don't know quite how it is. Yeah. Um, enough so that they wouldn't, they would forget about kind of what they were doing. And it was uncanny how many people's personality for God was their exact same personality. Right. So you, you are what you believe God is. You make God in your own image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to chew on. That's the book of Mark. And I think that the book of Mark is a lot to chew on. Uh, there's a lot to it. And even though it's the shortest gospel, it's probably one of the most complex gospels. When did we start this? It's, oh, a, it's a, a good thing ago. we didn't do Luke, huh? <laughs> yeah. We probably would have just blown through Luke. I don't know. Mark is a very, very deep book. And I hope that you spend some time even with these podcasts again. Mm -hmm. And you spend some time, more time in the Gospels, especially the book of Mark. So with that, we're next week going to start the cults. We're going to look at uh, as many cults as we can research and find and discover. Uh, we just had another comet go by and I didn't hear about any tennis shoes or um, mass suicides when that went by. So I don't know if those cults have gone away or that was a season, but we're going to discover and find out what the new cults are and what is trending. So as we <laughs> deep dive into these, I hope that you find um, the next handful of weeks, potentially handful of months, uh, interesting. So with that, if you want to support us, go to our Patreon page or follow the link to our Give page. We are the Constructionists, and we're so thankful to be here in this thinking space. Thank you, Shreya. Thank you, Jake. Good night, everybody. Good night.